So Alex, I was walking around San Francisco the other day, and I saw this van that was advertising Jim Weed. G- and I, yeah, Jim Weed. Jim Weed. And I wondered, is this what I think it is? I mean, here in San Francisco, you know, they have strains for just about everything. So is this a strain that would help you perform better at the gym? A strain of marijuana mm, that yeah. increases your gym performance. <laughs> Is that is that what it was? I, I don't know. I mean, it could have just been a really healthy supplement. I didn't walk across the street to find out because I also learned in San Francisco, you really don't want to walk up to strange vans, you know, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was very well, professional, had a QR code and everything. So I guess I'll never know. Well, if it is, they've just gotten a free plug on this massive podcast. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Update. We just Googled it. Okay. It's a- it's a it's an energy drink with hemp extract. Oh, of course. Yeah, that's some brilliant marketing then. So it's not it's not actual marijuana for the gym. In case you're <laughs> I had to look it up. Yeah, important facts. Facts are important. Facts matter. Welcome to Practically Fit, Real Fitness Over 40. I'm Alex Johnson. And I'm Jen Chamberlain. And today we're going to talk about drinking and fitness. Oh, does yeah. alcohol does alcohol <laughs> impact your athletic performance? Can you have a few drinks with friends and still be healthy? We'll talk about all this and more. But first, Jen, are you doing dry January this year? Yes, I'm doing it. I'm committed. Um, While I hate New Year's resolutions, I'm kind of a fan of dry January, actually. I feel like it's a good opportunity once a year to examine my relationship with drinking and, of course, to give my liver a break, (laughs) maybe. Yeah, and just just for our listeners, if there are some who are not aware, dry January is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, You go 31 days uh, without drinking for the month of January. Right. Yeah, yeah. Good explainer. You know, I think actually it started um, more in the UK and Europe and spread to the United States, but it's actually quite popular here. I know uh, one person who doesn't like that, uh, my brother-in-law, who's a bartender, but um, that aside, (laughs) I consider it, you know, a form of mindfulness practice. And, you know, on a serious note, alcohol is legal and it's quite integrated into our culture, but it is, after all, an addictive substance. So I think we always should be mindful of that. What about you, Alex? Yeah, I'm going to do it again this year, too. Um, I think I made it 26 days last time, so I want to <laughs> try to make it the full 31. Uh, and we'll talk more about this on the podcast today, but um, I definitely, there's a few things I will miss during mm-hmm. dry January. Uh, and again, not that I'm some heavy drinker, but I will miss IPA, Pinot Noir, and the occasional scotch. What uh-huh. about you, Jen? Yeah, my list is very similar. I will also miss IPAs. Uh, I really enjoy a good IPA, um, Pinot Noir. And for me, it would be gin and tonic. I know it's very old school, but I love gin. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's very. It's made a comeback. Uh, oh, has again, it? Yeah, it's super popular again in the UK. Not that yeah. gin wasn't popular in the UK, <laughs> but I just learned this over the summer. Uh, and having visited recently with my wife, it's sort of made a resurgence, and it's similar to what we see here with distilleries. There's like gin distilleries everywhere. Like oh, okay, gin. yeah, okay. So it's a it's a thing. So, yeah, we'll we'll miss those drinks over the next month. 
Uh, but today we're going to talk about drinking and fitness. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the science around drinking and fitness. And you know, we like to bring science to our podcast. So I think, Alex, I think you and I both independently came across this really interesting article from Runner's World with the right. provocative title, Does Running Have a Drinking Problem? Yes, hmm. yes, we did. <laughs> and the subtitle was even more ominous. It says, a growing body of research says that no amount of alcohol is good for our fitness and health. It's time to rethink our relationship relationship with booze. And that's I've seen that sort of headline a lot more recently. So right. this is continuing to be reexamined. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of like the science around so many of the things we eat and drink. There have been waves of, oh, wine is good for you. Maybe it's not. So this seems to be uh, coming up quite a bit. So this particular article focuses on an ultra runner named Corey Woltering, who found that he took the same hard driving attitude toward drinking that he did toward running. And Alex, this guy was doing like a thousand mile trail ultras. Wow. (laughs) So like the top of ultra, basically. Yes, yes. And so he found himself drinking for pain relief, actually drinking a beer or two during the race, like in the last few miles of the race, you know, to get through that pain that he was experiencing. So the article goes on to quote Dr. David Weirich, a public health education professor who says that pain relief is one of the top three reasons alcohol athletes, sorry, report using alcohol. The other two being stress management and as a way to celebrate. So Alex, have you ever used alcohol for pain relief? No. And I I mean, I know some people do that. I have not. I mean, I've used it like a lot of people do on occasion, which is for stress management, right? Right, right. Which again, does this actually work? We'll talk about that. But you know, you've you've had those days where you you have a, a tough day and you come home and you and you just think, oh, I'll just have a drink, and it's right. it's kind of this underlying thing in your psyche where you're using alcohol for stress management. I think a lot of people have done that. Yes, I think so, definitely. So this article also talks about how drinking has become interwoven with running culture, and I definitely see this a lot. I would say practically all of American culture drinking has, you know, kind of sort of gotten become a part of that. But, um, you know, in running, there's things like brewery runs. You and I have done a brewery run. Um, There's the beer mile where you, I guess you run a mile and drink a beer or you drink a beer and run a mile. I'm not really sure. But um, (laughs) (laughs) something to do with beer and running. (laughs) But yeah, it's very, very common. But um, they quote another expert, Dr. George Koob, director of the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, that concludes that almost all the benefits Americans attribute to alcohol, that it's good for your heart, that it helps you sleep, that it eases pain, are false. The truth is there's no safe amount of alcohol, not even one drink a day. That's pretty sobering stuff, if you'll pardon the pun. Yeah, (laughs) literally sobering. Uh, Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I... I, I'm not an expert on this subject, but in right. everything that I read, you know, I think Dr. Koob's probably right. Uh, this is something I often think about the next day after I've had a drink. Mm-hmm. The older I get, the more I notice, you know, this is a podcast for people over 40, right? Right. So the, the more I notice it affects my sleep and my vigor. My vigor. I don't know why I just said vigor. That's funny. But my vigor. Uh, you know, I, I turned 41 in June. And this year, I would say I've noticed that more than any other year of my life. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So if I if I have just one or two drinks, uh, mm-hmm. and again, I'm not a heavy drinker. So that would be the max I would have uh, mm-hmm. almost exclusively. I can think of one time recently where I had three beers and I felt like I'd 
you know, that was, that was living on the edge for me. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I really notice it more the older I get. Um, my Garmin watch has that stress meter on it. And uh-huh. it, of course it does sleep tracking. And we've talked about how those things aren't, you know, perfectly accurate by any stretch of the imagination. They right. kind of give you insight into your health trends. Right. But I have noticed if I drink in the evening and then I sleep, my sleep pattern is not as good. Um, I can actually see on that stress meter where maybe my stress is up after mm, I go to bed. So, I, so that leads me to believe maybe my heart rate's elevated a little mm-hmm. bit, which alcohol can do that, right? So um, research shows that alcohol has a negative impact on your sleep, even though it may have that initial effect of making you sleepy or going right. to sleep. So like Dr. Coop said that we ascribe to it. Oh, it's good for going to sleep. No, it's really not. It's, it, <laughs> and I think that for me is probably why uh, I feel um, maybe more tired the next day when I have alcohol is is the impact on sleep. And as you get older, you know, sleep sleep is always important. But I think as you get older, you feel it a little more. Um, I've tried to find studies that make me feel better about alcohol, <laughs> <laughs> especially in terms of my heart and, and my blood yeah, pressure. So right. I, I do have hereditary high blood pressure. I have to take a medication for it. Um, and my physical activity plays a really big part in my life in terms of like mitigating the risk of mm-hmm. high blood pressure. Uh, this is something my dad had, all, you know, my entire life. So I observed him with this as well. Uh, so this is something I think about. Now, you know, I found a few studies out there where it's, you know, there could be a connection between red wine and heart health. It's not, it's not a perfect connection, right? Mm-hmm. They see some correlation in some cases, particularly Pinot Noir, which has this higher levels of re- reverse, re- how do you say that? Reservatol? Res- I think it's Reservatol, but Reserv- yeah, that's yeah. nice to know. <laughs> Yeah, um, I also found one from the University of Belfast recently that said, so this was interesting. All of the headlines on this study focused on just the wine aspect of it. (laughs) Yeah. If you actually, which it's almost like they were using this to market their study. But if you Mm -hmm. actually go and look at what the study says, it says that a diet rich in flavonoids, Mm -hmm. which could include three glasses of wine per week, (laughs) can positively impact your gut microbiome and lower your blood pressure. But again, that study's not just about wine. It's right. could include three glasses of wine, red wine per week, but there's also other foods in there like berries and apples and tea, green tea, things mm. of that nature. So the that study, the red wine linkage was really seemed like a good way to market the study, but it you know, it's not leading you to the conclusion to go out and just start binge drinking red wine for your blood pressure, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, so I, I you know, there's some positive links out there between alcohol and heart health. But when you look at the balance of what's being said now, I think it leads us in the direction of, of Dr. Koob's quote there. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think studies have proven that it's a pretty big stretch to think of alcohol as somehow benefiting your health. And um, I have to admit, Alex, in full disclosure, I drink more than you do. Um, I easily will drink two or three drinks when I go out with my mates, you know, uh, over the course of an evening, not, you know, just chugging them or whatever. (laughs) Uh, But I have really noticed that the older I get, the more it affects me, particularly in the sleep area and just in terms of recovery in general. So yeah, one of the things that goes along with aging, maybe nudging us in a healthier direction. And yet, there are quite a few studies that find people who exercise a lot also tend to drink more, which is why I thought this was such a good topic for this program, right? So there was this other article I came across in Outside Magazine that looked into this phenomenon, and they concluded that 
while fitter people may drink more, they're less likely to be problem drinkers, which was really interesting. So the article cites an interesting study out of the Cooper Institute in Dallas, there where you live, uh, Alex. The <laughs> world-famous Cooper Institute. The world-famous Cooper Institute. It was titled Fit and Tipsy, the Interrelationship Between Cardiorespiratory Fitness and Alcohol Consumption and Dependence. Wow. <laughs> That's a ni- nice title. Yeah. Um, Fit and tipsy, interesting. But anyway, I looked at data from 38,000 healthy patients ranging in age from 20 to 86. That's, that's a pretty big sample size. And it's notable because it's large, but also that age range factors out college athletes. And some ah. of the studies they looked at before among college athletes, I mean, you know, people in the United States, at least maybe ever, maybe in other countries too, tend to drink a lot in college. So I think that's a worldwide trend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. At least I would say US and Europe, I can't speak right. beyond that. But. So in some of the other studies, that was really skewing the research as college athletes. But this takes, takes that out of the picture. And it found that moderately and highly fit people were far more likely to be moderate or heavy drinkers than less fit people. For women, being highly fit more than doubled the odds of being a moderate or heavy drinker. And for men, it increased the odds by 63%. Wow. That's quite a correlation. I mean, with that big of a number of people. But I guess the slight upside to it was when it came to alcohol dependence, only 13% of the subjects met the criteria for alcohol dependence. And among the heavy drinking men, though not the women, the fittest were the least likely to exhibit signs of dependence. So it's really interesting. So what are the reasons for this link? The article in Outside Magazine looked at a couple of possibilities. One is the so-called licensing effect. It's a psychological thing where if you feel like you've done something quote-unquote good or healthy, you reward yourself by doing something bad or unhealthy. Hmm. <laughs> I have been known to partake in the licensing effect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You had a great run today. So yeah. how are you going to reward yourself? Right? A beer. <laughs> yeah. And the other idea, this one, the second one was actually more interesting to me. And it was the idea that both exercise and alcohol use are influenced by the same set of personality traits. Mm. So I'll quote here a 2014 study from the University of Houston researcher Leisure, for example, linked both exercise and drinking behavior to higher levels of sensation seeking, a trait that in turn is influenced by how your brain's reward circuitry processes dopamine. So uh, she found these different uh, motivations that coupled exercise and alcohol, and they dubbed these uh, work hard, play hard, work hard, play hard, celebration, body image, and guilt. So in the former two, work hard, play hard, and celebration, exercise leads to drinking. And in the other two, drinking leads to exercise. So you feel sort of guilty and you feel uh, unfit. And so you exercise to combat that. So that last idea made a lot of sense to me. I mean, I can definitely identify with the work hard, play hard mentality. Yeah. And it would also fit with the ultra runner that was quoted in the Runner's World article. You know, I try not to fall into this licensing trap, but I do tend to be 110% into whatever I do, whether it's running or a night out with my friends. Yeah, so. Yeah. So we've established this link between exercise and drinking. I want to talk a little bit more about how it really affects your performance. You already mentioned sleep a little bit. Definitely that too. Um, When I've done Dry January in the past, I haven't seen a lot of the great benefits everybody talks about, like losing weight. Um, but I do sleep much, much better. Yeah, I'll be, this is something I'm interested to look at this year. I don't think I previously had a fitness tracker when I did dry January. So Mm. I think it was, I think it was two years ago. So I'm really actually super curious to see 
how does this impact my sleep? And again, I probably have a drink maybe three nights a week. So, uh, a drink or two. So I'm, I'm really, really curious to see what that difference is without alcohol. And then is there any, as I, like I mentioned this year, especially I felt it more. So is there any difference over the course of a month, not drinking and how I feel overall over that longer time frame compared to how I felt previously? Exactly. So we talked about sleep quite a bit. So let's look at some other ways that alcohol might impact your performance. Okay, yeah. And we found surprisingly little academic research on the impact of alcohol on athletic performance. Uh, There's a study from 2010 titled Alcohol, Athletic Performance, and Recovery, and it's out of Deakin University in Australia, and it includes this brilliant line, athletes, like the rest of the population, consume alcohol. (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) Do-do-do-do-do-do-do, breaking news. People are consuming alcohol. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. It goes on to conclude that, quote, given the numerous and complex mechanisms by which ethanol, which is found in alcohol, Mm -hmm. impacts uh, on psychological system, physiological systems, excuse me, it can be strongly hypothesized that elevated blood alcohol concentrations at the time of exercise will impair performance. Strongly (laughs) hypothesized. However, (laughs) remarkably, there are relatively few clinical trials that address this question. So the scientists are not out at these beer runs where people are pounding beer in between their miles, which is, by the way, what they do, Jen. They run a mile, pound a beer, and then run another mile. Oh, okay. I think that's how that works. Um, Uh, I don't think my stomach could handle that. But um, yeah, just a quick comment on this. Some of of what I saw in the research was that because it's kind of counterintuitive that athletes would drink is why there hasn't been as much study on this area. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. <laughs> uh, there, there's also this article by sports dietitian Claire Sikanik writing for na- the National Strength and Conditioning Association, and she noted that drinking alcohol before exercise can lead to, quote, compromised motor skills, decreased coordination, delayed reactions, diminished judgment, and impaired balance and increase the athlete's risk for injury. Yeah, I think drinking before workout is just <laughs> generally a bad idea, especially if you were cycling, I think. or Yeah, even, oh, yeah. yeah, anything that requires balance. I will say I've noticed a drastic <laughs> improvement in my golf game with just one beer, <laughs> just one beer. But after the one beer, it goes downhill. So Oh, same I, effect for me in bowling. Yeah, exactly. Bowling and golf. I think it's just relaxes you just enough so that you're not like stressing. But yeah, if you drink anymore, which many people do when they play golf, it's not good. Same with Uh, bowling. (laughs) So following up on the on the comments here about alcohol and exercise, see Kinnick goes on to say that alcohol after exercise, which is far more common can also interfere with many aspects of the recovery process. So this is the the part that's important. I mean, it's mm-hmm, pretty intuitive right. that, you know, drinking before exercise is bad, like we said. So, <laughs> right. um, but in terms of inter- interfering with recovery, uh, beverages containing greater than or equal to 4% alcohol can increase urine output, ultimately delaying recovery from a dehydri- dehydrated state. And um, most alcoholic beverages are over... alcohol, unless you're in like the state of Utah, right? So Right, exactly. That's (laughs) Uh, an effect I've definitely noticed too. Dehydration, I think, is a big part of the crummy feeling that alcohol can make you feel afterwards. Yeah, I had this the other day where um, we did a trail run and um, 
you know, we drank some, we had a bladder with us during the trail run and drank from that. But then we went directly to the grocery store and didn't really have, you know, much hydration in the car on the way to the store, mm-hmm. shop for an hour, came home. It was New Year's Eve, then had a bit of champagne. <laughs> and then the next day I was like, oh, I'm a little dizzy this morning. I realized I was dehydrated. Dehydrated. I hadn't, I hadn't yeah. drank enough that, uh, uh, enough water or sports beverage that previous evening. Exactly. Um, other, other effects on recovery. Um, some people have have plugged it as a post-workout recovery beverage, but according to Scanic, because it contains carbohydrates and electrolytes, or excuse me, in actuality, even though it contains carbohydrates and electrolytes, the typical beer doesn't contain nearly enough of those things for proper recovery from a long workout with a large sweat loss. So mm-hmm. you may be thinking like drinking your beer after your run or your your bike ride, which is very common, is a good post-workout recovery. It's it's not living up to drinks that are designed for that. Unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I, to me, that would be a good time to have one, especially True. if it's in like the middle of the day, but that can't be your only post-workout recovery. Exactly. Um, alcohol can limit the production of hormones associated with muscular growth. It limits the inflammatory response, which is important for recovery from injury High doses of alcohol after resistance exercise, quote, increase cortisol levels and decrease the testosterone to cortisol ratio, which can interfere with the adaptive process of long-term resistance training. And then finally, quote, additionally, alcohol decreases testosterone secretion. Uh Uh-oh. Therefore, (laughs) excessive intake during the recovery period should be avoided for athletes striving for muscular hypertrophy or those with hormonal imbalances. And then hangovers, right, Jen? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She, she says the effects of a hangover on anaerobic performance remain unclear, but overall it is probable that athletes <laughs> training or competing without a hangover will enjoy a competitive edge <laughs> over their hungover opponents. Yeah. I love I, that quote. I didn't do agree with you, Claire. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a pretty uh, healthy assumption. Um, I, you know, I have to admit I have run with hangover before, actually more than once. Most notably one morning, you and I, Alex, met up for run in Dallas at White Rock Lake, and I was very hungover from a night before, and boy, that was unpleasant. I remember that, and it's what, <laughs> nine, ten miles around that lake? Yeah, we, I don't think we quite made it the whole loop, or at least I didn't. Um, yeah, that was pretty miserable. So yeah, so what are we to make of all of this? Alcohol can clearly diminish your performance, but you know, for many athletes, as the research has shown, Exercise and drinking seem to go hand in hand. Um, like I said, you know, I still enjoy a couple of beverages even after one. I think, you know, trying to make sure that that's not the only thing you drink, but it can be a nice reward after a hard workout. So so what do we make of all this, Alex? What's your takeaway? Ah, well, it's pretty unfortunate. I mean, I, th- I think we probably need to drink less or, I mean, you can make the argument that we shouldn't drink at all. I mean, right. that's, that's basically what the research is telling you. That's what you know, right. people who are knowledgeable in this space are telling you. The thing is about that, I don't know how realistic that is for everyone. Uh, I mean, alcohol is interwoven into to our culture, as you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been really impressed with people who have that ability to abstain from alcohol. 
Um, it's, it's, it's not just tied in with exercise, like we've talked about today, but with work culture, like Mm, people conduct business over drinks, people go out to happy hour after a hard day at work. Mm -hmm. It's connected to our family life. People drink together at the holidays, uh, or get togethers. Um, it's connect, you know, your friends, you mentioned, you go out with your friends, you have a few drinks. Even in you know, religion, like you have wine during communion in certain religions, right? So it seems hard to avoid alcohol for most people. It takes a really, I think, impressive mindset um, to to abstain from it. I do too. I'm I'm also consistently impressed with people who just you know adopt a alcohol free lifestyle for whatever reason, health or or otherwise. But I I think it's for me, you know, after dry January, it comes down to just considering all things in moderation. Um, One of the things I try to keep in mind, I think it's really important not to rationalize, not to tell ourselves that alcohol is somehow healthy, or just to think that because we exercise, it'll cancel out its negative effects. But you know, with your eyes wide open and keeping that in mind, I still enjoy drinking in moderation, just like I enjoy an unhealthy snack or an impossible burger with fries. Also not at all good for me. Um, so yeah, I'll probably continue in that mindset after dry January ends. And unless you just feel amazing during dry January and you decide I'm making a massive change. It could happen. It could happen. <laughs> I won't roll it out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, one of our fitness fundamentals at Practically Fit is that fitness should be diet friendly. So you should be able right. to eat and drink the things you enjoy as long as your diet is reasonably healthy and you mm-hmm. continue your exercise program. So to me... Um, this kind of falls into that category. Um, but who knows? Maybe maybe this year is the year I go through dry January and I say, oh, you know what? I'm done. I find it unlikely giving my um, affection for IPA and Pinot Noir and <laughs> yeah. occasional whiskey. Yeah, I I think that's, you know, our path, but we'd love to hear from you. Tell us your stories and, you know, how do you look at alcohol and fitness? What do things have worked for you? Uh, what haven't? And we'd love to hear about that in the comments. Yeah. And if anybody's trying out dry January, feel free to tell us about that as well. Send us an email at alex at practically.fit, or you can comment on the podcast at practically.fit on our sub stack. So thank you for listening again. That's it for this week. Uh, After this podcast, we're taking a week off. We've done a lot of uh, practically fit work through the holidays. You know, we had time off. It was really nice. So uh, we're going to take a break for a week and we'll be back with a new podcast on January 18th, focused on the importance of mobility and stretching as part of your recovery routine. Oh, so important. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about that subject. And again, as always, go over to practically.fit, subscribe to the newsletter, Uh, We would love it if you'd leave us a review of the podcast on iTunes. It would help us out a lot. And again, if you have any questions, shoot me an email, alex at practically.fit. And until next time, remember, fitness is for everybody.